my clients used to come to me and say, oh, you know, I found this new food. It says it's all natural. But then there'd be an asterisk and it would say with added vitamins and minerals, or they'd bring in a food and it would say human grade, but then there'd be an asterisk and it would say made with human grade ingredients, but not made in a human grade facility. And I honestly just felt like these companies were clearly just marketing companies that happened to make dog food. And I said, well, what if we didn't have asterisks? What if, if we said we were human grade, we were human grade. And what if when I said we were all natural, we were all natural. And we're one of very few dog foods out there on the market that has no added vitamins and minerals. All of our vitamins and minerals come from natural sources. Let's discover what people are building in the greater Cleveland community. We are telling the stories of Northeast Ohio's entrepreneurs, builders, and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the real pleasure of speaking with Tori and Michael Waxman, the founders of Sundays. Sundays for Dogs is a leading dog food brand offering the first human-grade air-dried dog food made with 100% all-natural ingredients that is healthier than kibble but easier than refrigerated food since it doesn't require a freezer prep or cleanup. In pursuit of their mission to make it easier to be an awesome dog parent and to feed millions of dogs around the globe, Tori and Michael have raised over $14 million for Sundays, based here in Cleveland, as they've grown the business to offer modern dog parents everything that they are looking for, including quality, taste, convenience, and affordability. And the proof is in the dog food, as in a blind taste test, dogs preferred Sundays 20 to 0 over the best-selling dry dog food. Dr. Tori Waxman, a practicing small animal veterinarian, and Michael Waxman, an engineer and serial entrepreneur, founded Sundays together when their dog, Mabel, who... <laughs> may make brief cameos in this episode today, became sick. Together, they became obsessed with finding dog food that could improve Mabel's health. And although they searched, which you'll hear all about in our conversation today, they could not find dog food that was healthier than kibble, but easier to feed than home-cooked foods. And thus, Sundays was born. This conversation was a ton of fun. Tori and Michael have an amazing story, exude such a passion for their work, and are building an incredible company with Sundays. So I hope you all learn from it as much as I did. Please enjoy our conversation after a brief message from our sponsor. Lay of the Land is brought to you by Air CFO, whose story we actually shared back on episode 23 of Lay of the Land with Air CFO's founder and CEO, Justin McLaughlin. For many founders, dealing with finances and taxes is stressful, confusing, and time-consuming. Yet without paying proper attention to your finances and taxes, you won't be able to produce accurate nor timely financials and forecasts for your team or for your investors. And even worse, if you miss critical tax deadlines, you'll get hit with unnecessary penalties from the IRS. These kinds of financial and tax missteps can jeopardize your entire startup and your vision. Running a startup is hard enough. Work with AirCFO and you'll get best-in-class finance, accounting, HR, and tax support. AirCFO takes care of your back office so you can focus on growing from startup to scale-up. As a Lay of the Land listener, visit aircfo.com for more information and to set up a call. And tell them Lay of the Land sent you. Again, that's aircfo.com. The link will be in the show notes. So I have to put a disclaimer at the onset um, out there, which is that I've never had a dog before. Growing up in, in New York City, my feeling was always that my, my two younger brothers filled that void as, as proverbial man's best friend as, <laughs> as they are mine. But I did grow up around dogs. And at this point in my life, I now have many friends uh, who have dogs. And I've vicariously got to experience and see dogs become part of the family. And of course, you know, you always want what is, is best for your family. And I, I know some of the impetus here for the work that you two are doing at Sundays comes from this kind of motivation too. And so I'd love to start with, you know, your backgrounds and how these motivations have unfolded to, to put you on this journey to, uh, <laughs> forgive the, the pun here, but like grow a pet project and figure out, you know, the, the best dog food for your own dogs and to ultimately build a company where you can eat your own dog food. <laughs> 
Well, as long as you're not a cat person, we can proceed with the interview, even though you don't have a dog. I'm allergic to cats, so we're good. Perfect. Perfect. Well, yeah, look, I I like to joke the reason Sundays exist is because a software engineer married a veterinarian and we're both huge dog people. Tori, as you'll hear more so than me, but I grew up in Cleveland with a somewhat ridiculously high number of dogs. So my family (laughs) probably averaged about five or six dogs at any given time. And as a result, whenever I run into a friend from growing up and I tell him I'm running a dog food company, no one is surprised. I'll, I'll say <laughs> that. And and Tori, you know, obviously devoted her her whole life to to animals, but I'll, I'll let her tell you about that. Yeah, so um, I'm originally from Chicago, um, and then I went to undergraduate and vet school out east, which is how I ended up in New York City. Um, I was a practicing veterinarian in New York City. Honestly, starting a company was never on my radar, but Michael is extremely obsessive. And, you know, one day he asked me, why do we feed our dogs the food we feed? And I said, oh, well, it's fine. And most of the companies that claim that they're better, it's, it's just marketing. It's not actually better. And of course, Michael being Michael said, well, what if we can make something better? And I was like, well, you know, you could cook for your dog, but let's be honest, we DoorDash all the time. Like, I don't even cook for us. I'm not going to be cooking for our dogs here. I mean, no offense, Mabel, I love you, but don't cook for ourselves every night. So definitely not cooking for you. And so, I mean, we joke that Sundays was made for Mabel, but it's really true. I wanted to make a food that I felt great feeding my own dog. And if I could then kind of grow that and share it with other dogs, you know, so be it. But it it honestly stemmed from a passion and a desire to do best by my own dogs, but also realizing that I'm human. I had a life. I wasn't going to sit there and cook for my dog all day. And so, yeah, that's honestly, it really just started as like a little project between Michael and I to try to find best food for our own dogs. Well, we couldn't find it. We decided to make it. And and Michael, did you always have these entrepreneurial inclinations? So I I am descended from, at this point, a, a line of maybe four generations of entrepreneurs. So, you know, my great grandfather who came over from Eastern Europe to Boston, you know, started a business there, uh, you know, a hundred years ago. And my grandfather started one and my father started one and and was involved in the steel industry in in Cleveland. And so uh, it is something that I grew up talking about around the dinner table. You know, I, I think it's one of those things that even when I graduated high school in, in 2005, um, I think being an entrepreneur, being a founder was, you know, lived at a different, a very different place in the culture than it does now. This was before, you know, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's something that's kind of probably been in my blood for a long time, but, you know, maybe it's something I, I was destined to do, but I, I think now is maybe you know, the, the most exciting and most fun time to, to be a founder with all the amazing technology out there and all the infrastructure that's been built up in the past 20 years to help people start businesses. So I feel very fortunate for that. So when you're collectively exploring, you know, the options that are available for, for Mabel, you know, to, to feed your own dog, how do you come to the conclusion that what is out there is not sufficient and that what seems like from the outside is a very competitive and and you know saturated space already that there's this there is this opportunity for for something for something better i, I mean the the first thing we did you know when this started as a curiosity long before it was a business idea we tried an absurd amount of foods <laughs> and so you know this is back when this was still- in our new york yeah our 500 square foot new york city apartment we ordered like 50 different kinds of dog food, <laughs> if you can imagine. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was awesome. literally like piled to the like ceiling of our tiny apartment of, of all these different foods. And, you know, I, I think ultimately we just felt really strongly that everything was kind of either clearly not enough or clearly too much, right? There were sort of these two extremes. So on the one hand, you had kibble, which the more we learned about it, just incredibly processed junk food, low quality, 
you know, very affordable and, and easy, but, you know, smelled bad. Our dogs didn't love it, didn't do well on it. And then you had this other end of the spectrum of, of you know, home-cooked food, raw food that was sort of the opposite set of problems. So it was healthier. It smelled better sometimes, <laughs> not always. Uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it looked better, but it was so messy, such a hassle. You had to, you know, thaw it or add water and clean up from it. And so you know, it, it just felt like we kind of had to pick between two pretty bad options of either sort of easy but junk or better but a, a total hassle. And, you know, taking a step back, we we realized that we weren't alone. And a lot of people were asking this question of, you know, what do you feed the dog who sleeps in your bed, right? Like, like, like our, our dogs do. And what's not enough and what's too much. And, you know, we realized that, you know, no company had really answered that question in in a way that resonated with a lot of people. And, you know, there are over 4,000 dog foods you could buy, (laughs) buy in the U S. And so there's no shortage of, of people making dog foods. But, you know, I think before Sundays, you know, there, there really was a shortage of, foods that kind of offered that sweet spot of quality and convenience and not having to choose one or the other. The other thing, um, if I can jump in, as a veterinarian, my clients used to come to me and say, oh, you know, I found this new food. It says it's all natural. But then there'd be an asterisk and it would say with added vitamins and minerals, or they'd bring in a food and it would say human grade, but then there'd be an asterisk and it would say made with human grade ingredients, but not made in a human grade facility. And I honestly just felt like these companies were clearly just marketing companies that happened to make dog food. And I said, well, what if we didn't have asterisks? What if if we said we were human grade, we were human grade? And what if when I said we were all natural, we were all natural? And we're one of very few dog foods out there on the market that has no added vitamins and minerals. All of our vitamins and minerals come from natural sources. I like to joke, are you better off going to McDonald's and then taking a multivitamin or eating a wide variety of fresh fruits and vegetables and proteins to get your you know, essential vitamins and nutrients and minerals? But I, I believe that. And I think it's so important to provide optimal nutrition and not just be out there trying to sell your product and, you know, have asterisks all over your bag to explain, you know, why it's actually not what it says. And that always really drove me crazy. And it honestly, it drove Michael crazy because it took us a lot longer to launch because um, to meet all those strict requirements that I set forth when I, he wanted to go on this journey, I said, well, you know, we need to meet all these strict requirements that I'm setting forth. And it took us a lot longer, but I'm, I'm glad we took the time and did it right. So when you think about creating, you know, a better dog food for the dog that will sleep in your bed right with you, how do you actually go about getting started? Like what, what is the process for creating dog food? Understanding that, you know, you've done this research, you, you recognize the, the gap in the market. How do you create a, a non-asterisk, you know, authentic dog food? Where I'll start is something that Tori and I both felt really strongly about maybe for slightly different reasons, but ultimately we like really a hundred percent agreed on this. We didn't want to spend our time on this unless we were putting something into the universe that was genuinely new and better. Right. I, you know, from her, you know, from my background as a founder and a, and a product designer and, and Tori's background as a veterinarian, we both felt like, you know, if we were just going to private label something off the shelf that somebody was already selling or that you could already buy, that just, you know, that just wasn't kind of worth our time, right? Like, what are we really contributing to society, to our fellow humans and fellow dogs if we're just, you know, buying something off the shelf and putting a shinier wrapping paper on it? Who cares? So one consequence of that was ultimately we ended up having to kind of piece together our entire supply chain from from scratch right because you know one option that we did look at was oh yeah what if we call up the the dog food manufacturing store and say hey we we want to make a dog food that 
does all these things. And of course they said, well, we can't do that because, you know, if we could, we, we would, but we can't. And we have all these expensive millions of dollars of machines and extrusion equipment. And, you know, this is what we can do. We can, we can only use up to 25% meat, which was like a, wait, only 25, like I thought dogs only, (laughs) only like, wait, 25 is the maximum and the rest has to be dough and grains and legumes or like, that was weird. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, but uh, you know, all these constraints. And so, you know, that ended up setting us down like what was a pretty long road that took multiple years, literally took us across the globe. We ended up flying to New Zealand with our, our daughter who was four months old at the time. And we have this amazing picture of of the two of us and in our daughter in this meat freezer in <laughs> in, in New Zealand and um you know it, it's you know oftentimes i think the like kind of the hard way is the is the better way and it ended up being quite a long slog and, and quite a schlep to to do it but ultimately we essentially yeah, re, re, like built out a, a new supply chain from scratch. And that was the only way we could bring these sort of new features and benefits to market for the first time. And, and ultimately, you know, it's funny, like our, our sort of second choice manufacturer was in New Zealand, but our initial partner uh, that we ended up making our food with was a, a jerky kitchen right here in Ohio. And so it's just one of those funny things of, you know, sometimes you have to traverse the world only to realize that, you know, what you needed was right in front of you. Uh, but that's kind of the, the short version of the story. I'm curious at what point you had decided to take this from a prep project and, and be serious about it, because that sounds like quite an undertaking, you know, to build out an entire supply chain from scratch and to work towards, you know, a really robust process there. Yeah. You, you know, I think, you know, this is my, you know, sort of my third startup where I raised money from investors and and kind of did the whole thing. So, you know, while this world was totally new to Tori and I give her a ton of credit for sort of diving into the deep end with, with me on, on her first startup. But, you know, for, for me, having done this a few times, I sort of had a list of criteria of things I was looking for in you know, if I was going to go on the incredibly difficult, at times lonely, impossible founder journey again, it was like, okay, like these are the things that need to be true in order for me to want to do that. And again, sort of skipping over some of the details, you know, as we kind of learned more about dog food and learned more about what was out there, what wasn't out there, how would we do it? It, it just kind of became apparent that there was a really exciting opportunity here in in kind of the ways that mattered to us in the sense that there was really an opportunity to do something new and different and put something into the world that people really wanted, starting with us, but you know, and our friends, but we felt like, wow, this is really something new and different that people would want and care about. And then, you know, and that it, it could maybe be a really good, profitable business too, right? Because yeah, maybe, you know, maybe to make a a dog food uh, like the one we wanted would would cost, you know, a million dollars a month or something and we could do it, but, you know, no one would buy it at that price. But, you know, we sort of learned enough to know, okay, on the one hand, we can't really make it within the existing supply chain, but, you know, one one startup saying that I like is sort of today's headache is tomorrow's moat, right? And so if you can do something that's really difficult in the short term, oftentimes that creates a business advantage in the long run because it's difficult for everyone else too. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, just kind of putting some pieces together. It's like, wow, this is a huge opportunity, a big market. The business model really makes sense. In order to do it right, we're going to have to invest in some infrastructure, figure out some manufacturing. And so it's probably going to cost a little bit of money. So we, we probably need to, to raise money from outside investors, you know, so that, that kind of ended up setting us down that path. And then, 
in 2018, I, I think it was, uh, as I like to joke, startup years are like dog years. So you know, it feels like <laughs> about a hundred years ago, but I think it was late, you know, 2018, we raised some seed investors from, um, some folks that I, I, I had worked with previously for some new people who were kind of specialists in, in D to C or CPG businesses, mostly out of, out of New York where, where we were at the time. And, uh, we, we kind of dove in. It's a, it's a fascinating journey there. I'm thinking about it a little bit from the, the culinary perspective, you know, and I, I know when a <laughs> chef is like, you know, fine tuning their recipe, it's a lot of iterations. There's a lot of, you know, mistakes, experiments, where they start is probably not where they end. From the, from the dog food creation standpoint, how, how did you know you had arrived at you know, the, right, the right one? Well, there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes formulation and testing that goes into um, creating a, a new dog food recipe, obviously. So first, everything is done on paper. But honestly, most of the software that exists is all made for kibble. And so I would talk to some nutritionists and they would say, yeah, no, what you're trying to do is not a thing. Like you can't not use artificial vitamins and minerals and make a uh, complete and balanced dog food. That's just no. And, you know, it was kind of end of conversation with a lot of nutritionists. They thought we were absolutely crazy trying to do what we were doing. But we kept pushing on and we um, kept iterating and we kept, you know, reaching for different natural sources of different vitamins and minerals. And not to get too into the nitty gritty, but basically there is a published guide for the required nutrients, macronutrients and micronutrients, vitamins and minerals um, that are required for all dog food. Um, they actually are in charge of publishing kind of for all different types of animals, but obviously the dog food is the one that we concentrate on. And so we ran a bunch of iterations of our diet and then put it through a multitude of testing to make sure it actually reached what we had calculated on paper. And because we were kind of forging ahead in a new novel production type uh, for dog food, we had to do a lot of test batches and kind of see where our test results ended up. Um, so there was a lot of trial and error, but eventually we arrived at kind of our initial recipe, which is our beef recipe. Um, and then after we made the recipe, I don't know if you call them our poor dogs or our lucky dogs, were definitely our first temp subjects for things like palatability <laughs> and stool quality. We joke that if you're a part of the Sunday's team, we talk a lot about poop, but it's true. We talk a lot about poop here on the, on the team. And so it's, it's, but it's really important to dog parents. It's, it's, you know, they pick up their dog's poop every day. It's really important that they have great stool quality. It's really important that they have great palatability. So all of those little things, um, you know, we have to make sure they're addressed um, before the dog food ever hits the market. So we have to, you know, even if the recipe is perfect on paper and the lab results are perfect, if um, the palatability isn't good or the stool quality is not good, then the recipe is not good. So um, a lot of T's to cross and I's to dot. Yeah, the, I mean the the two things I'd, I'd add to that are, are one, you know, when she said trial and error, you know, that doesn't really do it justice. We, we went through over a hundred recipes before we got to our first one. So, sort of that, you know, age old entrepreneurial story of like Thomas Edison with all the filaments, where you know we we literally went through over a hundred iterations of that first recipe before it was just right because we were trying to do all these things that had never been done before. And then the only other thing I, I just would point out, taking a step back, is the thing that is easy to forget about dog food compared to human food is that most dogs get all their nutrition from a single source. And so there's this extra requirement to make sure it has all these different nutrients in it which you know our food doesn't really have because we're snacking and eating on all sorts of different stuff and so you know that was a and you know to Tori's point the way the industry's been up until present day for the most part is that the approach is basically you know here's McDonald's and then take a multivitamin and that's how you get <laughs> all the nutrients you need but doing it with whole foods and doing it using this air drying process at a jerky kitchen rather than the way they make kibble, which is they sort of make a dough in a process called hot extrusion. You know, the only way to really figure it out was to, to try a bunch of ways that didn't quite work until we, we figured out the, the one that did. And then, you know, of course, uh, 
by the time we had figured it out, it was, uh, and we were ready to launch, it was February, 2020, which was a, ended up being a, a funny time to finally uh, have it ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. During which I think a lot of people got dogs and were probably thinking about this. Yeah. I mean, pr- probably one of our, our best stories that we should, you know, from our, our journey that we should probably do like a, you know, could do a whole podcast series just about <laughs> this story. But we, you know, we finally got to the starting line, February, 2020. We literally launched to about our hundred first customers that we didn't know. So our dogs and some friends' dogs had been eating the food for a lot of 2019. And, you know, our, our dogs had been eating it for over a year, but we finally, you know, had perfected the recipe. We were producing it at scale February 2020 with this jerky kitchen in Ohio. We get our first 100 customers, COVID hits, and you know, and, and we're, you know, we're a subscription business and so we have 100 customers and we basically only had something like 100 boxes of food, but we were like, okay, we could make another 100 boxes of food to send them in March and so on. Right, so right. So our, our manufacturer calls us up right after COVID hits. And you may recall there was a national closure of meat processing plants, which for whatever reason, were one of the first kind of places where you're seeing these really bad COVID outbreaks. And our manufacturer calls us, he goes, Michael, Tori, I've been in the meat business for 30 years. I've never experienced this before, but I can't buy any meat at any price. Wow. So sorry, I can't make <laughs> any more food for you. And at that moment, there was a part of me that genuinely just thought, all right, well, I guess that's the end of the road. We'll, you know, send out our resumes tomorrow and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what more can we do? And then after, you know, sort of getting over that initial sort of sense of defeat, we were literally just like, well, like, you know, we, we use human grade foods just from like grocery stores and grocery store suppliers, like someone somewhere has to have meat. So we literally just started cold calling places. So, you know, being in in Cleveland, like we literally, like we called Heinen's. We were like, hey, Heinen's, like, could we buy, (laughs) you know, 10,000 pounds of ground beef from you? And they told us no. But then we're like, okay, well, like maybe there's another grocery store that has meat. And long story short, there was a direct-to-consumer steak company that I had heard about no, didn't know about, you know, didn't have any special connection to them. I just emailed the contact us on their website and I said, Hey, you guys have ground beef. You know, I'm looking to buy a huge quantity of it for my dog food business. Like, is there any way you can? So sure, they emailed me back there. Okay. Yeah, sure. Like $2 wow. a pound. <laughs> and mind you, this is, this is dry aged, grass fed, pasture raised, like, you know, steak quality ground it's beef. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. And as, as you know, then not to spoil the story, but ended up making the finest batch of dog food ever made before or since. And, <laughs> and then the funny thing is, cool, 10,000 pounds. And we had never bought our own meat before because our, our manufacturer did it. And so I was like, okay, is there like a, a, like a tracking number or something that you could send us? And they're like, oh no, I don't think you understand we're just a family farm too. So I'm putting this in my truck and I'll call you when I get there. (laughs) And we were like, okay. And so, you know, we made production. We also made the finest batch of dog food ever produced before since we were able to, you know, serve those initial hundred customers and keep going. And then of course, you know, as, as I think often is the case in startups, you know, one, it's a lot about luck, but you know, two, it's a lot about just kind of staying in the arena and staying alive so that you have the opportunity to be lucky. And for us, as you alluded to, COVID ended up being a huge tailwind for the entire pet industry. The U.S. dog population grew by as much as 20% just during that first wow. year of COVID. And people, of course, shifted buying patterns online faster than we were expecting. And so after Joe just barely avoiding death in March. By April, things just started to to take off, and it's it's really you know kind of been uh, off to the races ever since. But what an incredible 
the story, quintessential startup experience. <laughs> yeah, and well, and at the same time with COVID, as you remember, shipping and you know importing all of those things kind of shut down during the height of COVID. And so it actually ended up being a blessing in disguise that most of our supply chain was domestic. And so while all these dog food companies were struggling to get all these ingredients from abroad, most of our ingredients are from right here in the United States. And so we were really lucky in that we never had any ingredient shortages, which most even human food companies couldn't say during the time of COVID. I don't know if you remember, like even restaurants were having food shortages and things like that. So um, we really lucked out. Yeah. Wow. That's that's amazing. (laughs) So maybe just fast forwarding a little bit, you know, where's the company today? How do you describe Sundays as it is? How has it evolved? Just kind of paint the picture of of what it looks like in the present. Today, uh, we have tens of thousands of dogs eating Sundays, which you know, I, I don't know if our own dogs are excited by or jealous of that <laughs> fact. I think that, you know, they were a little confused when we started shipping it to customers. They're like, wait, why are you sending this food away? I don't, I don't get it. And, <laughs> you know, we have uh, two recipes just, you know, it goes to show kind of how hard it is to produce these recipes in the way that we do. And our, our third one's actually coming out in the next couple of weeks, which we're very excited about. We have a team of about 30 full-time people. A few, a few of the others are, are here in Cleveland, but we're a remote first team, so we don't have any offices and we're distributed across the, the, the U.S. I mean, that's sort of the, the very short version of it, but we want to help dog parents. You want to make it easier for the, the modern dog parent, right? Like I think is you know, even before COVID, but especially in the times we live in today, you know, it's, it's stressful being, being a dog parent these days. And there's so many products and services to choose from. And probably the most confusing and overwhelming of that is, is which food do do you feed this family member who, you know, is humanized and part of the family on one level, but is also a different species ultimately that has their own you know, own nutrition requirements and taste preferences. You know, I, I think we just feel very fortunate to be in a position where we we've served so many dogs and humans and hopefully, you know, given people the opportunity to spend just a little bit more quality time with their their pups. And, you know, but we're we're just getting started. There's over a hundred million dogs in the US and you know, by comparison, just a tiny, tiny fraction eat Sundays today. And, you know, hopefully that continues to grow every year. If you peruse Sunday's website, you know, something you'll, you'll find, I think pretty quickly there is that dogs preferred Sundays 20 to zero over the best-selling dry dog food, which is an incredible uh, finding. So I'd love to unpack, you know, what the reception has been so far, both both from the dog's perspective and from dog parents' perspective? I feel like it's cheating, but our recipes are over 90% meat. And as Michael was saying earlier, you know, kibble can only be up to 25% meat in the formulation. And so right then and there, it's kind of unfair. But um, you know, we wanted to do the test anyways. And also uh, a lot of kibbles contain palatins to make them more palatable um, because the food is heated and treated to such high pressures that most of the palatability is lost. So most kibbles uh, contain palatins. And so we were just curious. And so we ran a test to see um, if dogs preferred uh, Sundays over the, the leading uh, selling kibble. And so, as I said, you know, we, we take things really seriously as a, you know, scientist myself, it's one thing to say, Hey, it's 90% meat. It must taste better. But it's another thing to actually see that data. The, the other funny behind the scenes story there is, you know, some dog food websites will have these claims done in the same way where it's like, you know, p- you know, dogs prefer our food two to one or three to one. And so that's what we were thinking, right? Where it would be, oh, you know, right. you know dogs prefer Sundays five to one. And then we got the results back in this like, you know, 20 page, like very scientific report. And it was just like, they all chose Sundays. And we we're like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's awesome. That's an unambiguous signal. <laughs> That's amazing. So one of the things, uh, Michael, you had mentioned was really this whole kind of direct-to-consumer approach. And so uh, is there a role for traditional pet food retailers? How, how has you know, the actual sales mechanism worked here? 
Yeah, that that's such an interesting question because I think, you know, as a lot of people will say, direct to consumer is just a channel. It's not a business model, right? And, you know, it's it's, you know, one way that we can get our amazing food to dogs is through our through our website. And that's where we started. And to date, it's the only way that you can buy Sundays for a few reasons. The biggest one of which is it just allows us to have a direct connection with our customers. And when you're starting out and we're still developing our products and you know, really trying to figure out exactly what are the pain points of our customers and how we can solve those better. And, you know, when our end using customers can't talk, it's, you know, it's all the more important to to have that really close connection with, with the user and with the customer. But, you know, we have a shelf stable product. And so it's not really a matter of, of if, but when we'll sell Sundays and other places beyond our, our website. And, you know, it's definitely something that's on our, our radar. And so one day you'll be able to buy Sundays in, in many places. But for the foreseeable future, I think we're, we're still focused on, you know, just selling food through our website. Because again, it, it lets us not just have that direct connection of the with the customers so that we can learn more about them and their needs, but it also lets us control the experience and deliver the quality of not just product, but things like customer service, which, you know, once you sell in other places, that kind of gets a little bit out of your control, right? And so, you know, if we one day sell on Amazon or, or something like that, you have to be willing to live with the fact that, yeah, people might get a damaged box of your food and they may not be able to get in touch with someone. And um, for now, we just want to delight our customers and give them the best experience possible. And we just feel like the easiest way to do that is, you know, letting people buy the product directly from us. And how, how have you been able to, to cultivate those, those relationships over time? You know, what, what is the, the kind of role that you see for the brand of Sundays playing in, in, in the delivery of the actual product? One of the things we talk about internally is that you feed your dog 730 times a year. And so if we can just make you smile or make your life just like a little bit easier every time you feed your dog, that can add up to uh, a really powerful emotional response to to our brand. It's ever evolving, right? Like for us, we want the the main focus to be just on the food itself and kind of that experience. And, you know, it smells fresh like artisanal jerky because that's what it is. And making sure your dog gobbles it up and has great poops and, you know, a healthier coat. Like those are sort of the the core things that matter. But, you know, as, as we also like to say, we sell dog food. Let's take the food part seriously, but you know, not take the dog part too seriously, right? And be <laughs> playful and have fun because dogs are dogs are fun, and that's one of the many things we we love about them. And so, you know, we've we've done some some fun things in in the past. Uh, you know, previously we did a limited edition run where you could um, upload a photo of your dog, and we'd print it directly on our cereal box packaging and. Um, you know, that was sort of a, a fun thing that, you know, people really got a kick out of and, and, you know, something we plan to bring back in the, in the future. But yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, dogs just bring so much joy to people's lives that if we can just kind of tap into a little bit of that and do some fun, playful things, you know, I, I think that's kind of how we, we got to where we are by doing some of these fun things like the custom cereal boxes and, as our team grows and we have a little bit more capabilities and stuff, you know, we hope to do even more fun things like that in the future. In asking that last question, I realized I don't actually understand the the name of the company. <laughs> why why is it called Sundays? Yeah, it's you know it, it it's funny. So when you know before it was a, a company, and when Tori and I were were still living in New York. You know, we we would joke that our dogs would know what day of the week it was and know that, you know, on Sunday it meant neither of us were going into work and they would get to spend the whole day with us. And so they'd wake up, 
kind of early and excited and pause <laughs> and be like, guys, like this is the day that like both you guys don't, don't go to, to work. And, you know, we kind of just zeroed in on that as like what our brand and, and our reason for being is all about of giving you more quality time with your, your dogs. And, you know, we're trying to kind of just evoke that feeling of, you know, sort of that easy, Sunday morning vibe where, you know, you kind of don't have a care in the world and, you know, and you kind of get to spend the whole day with your, your loved ones. And that's, uh, that was sort of the origin of it. You had, you had mentioned the kind of growth of the team. I know recently you also have closed on a a pretty, you know, sizable funding round as well. All, you know, with this ambition in mind of, of reaching, the goal to to feed a million dogs and help ten million more by twenty twenty five. How how do you plan to achieve this? You know what what is the, the impact here that you're hoping to have on the the dog food industry overall? You, you know, I I think the the short version of how we do that is just by serving our customers and obsessing over their needs and solving their problems better than other dog food companies is kind of our, that, you know, that the high level uh, approach, you know, I think like more specifically, if we do a good job and fulfill our potential, you know, I think we'll kind of raise the standard of, of dog food for all dogs, right. You know, a, a generation ago, a lot of dogs still slept outside and, you know, ate, really low quality kibble, or maybe they even ate table scraps and didn't even have their own food. But as we've continued to elevate dogs, you know, from pets to family members and brought them in from the backyard and, you know, now, you know, more than two thirds of, of dogs sleep, sleep in bed with their, their human parents, you know, we're, we're trying to just kind of elevate the entire category you know, I, I think the logical conclusion of, of what we do is that, you know, one day perhaps there won't be kind of separate standards for for dogs and, and humans, right? Like right now, you know, we're, we're a human-grade food because we hold ourselves to higher quality standards and ingredients and processing than, um, you know, 99% of, of dog foods. But, you know, 10 years from now, you know, maybe they'll just be kind of one standard and, you know, and, and everything uh, that dogs eat will, will be kind of at the level of quality that we consider necessary for human food. I have to ask there, and, and this is not, you know, me as a, again, I'm allergic to cats. So this is not a, a cat ad. I, I, I hear question a, a cat here. person question <laughs> incoming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am curious, right? If, if we're talking about the, you know, the elevation of, of pets overall as part of the family, is, is there, you know, a vision at some point to, or I guess maybe the question is like, how extensible is the quality of the food and, and the work that you've done here to other animals? And is, is that within, you know, the vision? Have you guys thought about that? What's the, the perspective there? Cats honestly are a little bit more <laughs> difficult customers. It's actually a funny thing. Like you can take a cat that's eaten a food its entire life and offer it something so much better and they'll turn their nose up at it. And so cats are just, palatability is a lot more difficult with cats. Cats are obligate carnivores. So their nutrition requirements are a little bit different than dogs um, who are technically omnivores. I would argue they're carnivorous omnivores, but you know that's a whole nother discussion. So cats are honestly a whole other animal, no pun intended. Uh, but so we have not considered doing a cat food at this point, although we joke that if we did, we'd call it catterdays. I, I, uh, <laughs> I would have been remiss if I, if I didn't ask about it. How, how has it been working together, you know, as, as, uh, as partners, it's, um, I've been able to, to chat with a few folks who have, have done, you know, familial businesses working with a, a spouse, a, a partner, a, a brother, a sister. And it's, it's always interesting to, to hear that, that perspective of it. Yeah. I mean, when we started, we were working together in a one bedroom apartment and it was just the two of us <laughs> for the first few years. And I think that was a lot more challenging. It's actually funny now at this point, even though we work out of the same house, you know, what we do on a day-to-day basis is so specialized that honestly, we don't have much interaction kind of from nine to five. And we're pretty strict about, you know, after hours, 
trying to not discuss the business and really make family time family time. We have human children in addition to dog children. Um, so, you know, we really try to keep it separate. And um, as the team has grown, it's been really fun to kind of be able to grow into more of kind of what I want to do day to day instead of not that. I mean, look, we have incredible people that run our ingredient procurement and fulfillment and um, billing and all those things that used to fall under my umbrella. But I am so thankful that people that are actually talented in these areas are running those areas because um, as a veterinarian, that is definitely not my skill set. And so I love seeing all these people we hire that actually are skilled in these areas take my horrible spreadsheets and run and improve our business in so many ways. For sure. And and the only other thing I, I'd add there is I think there is a, a lesson in the fact that, you know, I think what kind of makes a, a marriage work or what makes like a, a, you know, makes two spouses kind of work together, I think like are, are really similar to what makes co-founders <laughs> work together in a company. Like I think there's a lot of overlap there, right? Where, you know, you need to have mutual respect for one another, have complementary skill sets, have really good communication with each other, enjoy spending a ridiculous amount of time for each other, like with each other. And, you know, those are things I would, I would say for anyone thinking about getting married or thinking about starting a business with someone. <laughs> and so, you know, it is kind of funny how, how they overlap. <laughs> yeah. As you re- reflect on, on the journey so far, I'm curious from, from both your perspectives, but but maybe starting with, with you, Michael, knowing that this is your your third time, you know, going through this, what are the things that have surprised you a third time through this process? So, you know, the the one thing I'll say is definitely at this point, this is further like Sundays has gone further than either of my previous two ventures, right? So maybe in some of the earlier chapters, I had an existing playbook even though it was mostly of things not to do, but like I had a, you know, I had a play sheet, I had some lessons learned, but, um, you know, really in the past year or so, I think we've kind of surpassed what the scale that we reached it at kind of previous startups. And so, you know, I, I think the biggest lesson for me over the last year or so, especially as we've started to scale the team is that ultimately, you know, startups are just people right? Like I think we sort of have these abstractions that organizations have all these processes and all all these different things. But at the end of the day, companies are just people and they'll only go as far as their people. And, you know, how, how good are, are the people? How well aligned are they? How clear is everyone on what the goals are? How well do people support each other? How well do people communicate with each other? And yeah, and, and so I think that's been, you know, maybe the, you know, the surprising thing of just how ultimately most of the problems, but also most of the solutions uh, as you scale a company just lie in people, right? It's just about kind of, you know, everybody uh, getting a little bit better every day. And then, you know, you kind of wake up one morning and, you know, you, you were able to kind of push the rock further up the hill together because you had so many great people all doing it in the same direction. And so I, I think that's probably the, yeah, I, you know, and if I had to add a, add a second thing, it, you know, it would also just be frankly like the role of luck in, in all of in all of this too, right? I think you, you know, in order to build a really successful business, you need to work really hard. I like you need to be fortunate enough to be able to work alongside people smarter than you and more talented than you. And you have to make sacrifices and you have, you know, you have to put in the hours. But at the same time, I, I think you, you know, you, you need some component of luck, right? There's, you know, plenty of other businesses working just as hard as we are who, you know, haven't, you know, haven't been able to, to be, as, be as successful. And, you know, I think just also kind of there's, you know, having done this a few times, I think there's a certain lo- level of just gratitude and humility of like, hey, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, you, you have to, you know, look, may, maybe that the, the one, uh, 
you know, D2C meat company doesn't respond to my email and that would have been that. So, you, you know, you, you need a little luck too. You're right. Sometimes you can't get meat at any price. <laughs> by by the way, the, the, the price was surprisingly affordable because it was so early on into COVID that they hadn't like raised their prices yet, right? So the funny thing is it was basically the, a normal price, Fast forward the, the next two years, we saw, you know, there, there were times when the price of a given ingredient would go up a thousand percent you know, between <laughs> orders or something. And it's like, well, you know, got got to pay for it because dogs still got to eat. But that that particular shipment of dry aged pasture raised meat was weirdly affordable, as it, as it turns out. <laughs> Toria, as you reflect on the journey, how, how has it been for you, you know, transitioning from the, the veterinarian world to one of building a company? Yeah, I mean, if you had told me 10 or 15 years ago that I would be living in Cleveland, Ohio, running a dog food company, I would have thought you were crazy. <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess I should have known when I was marrying Michael that I wasn't signing up for a normal life trajectory. Uh, but no, it's it's been really exciting. And honestly, just hearing one-off stories from customers about the difference that Sundays makes in their own dog's life. You know, I, as I said, I joke that I made Sundays for my own dog, but honestly, if Sundays makes a difference in one dog's life, that's honestly just keeps me going. And it's just such a reason for being. Um, we are that dog obsessive. Our lives revolve around our dogs. And um, as a veterinarian, as a dog mom, um, it just, it's truly who I am. And just hearing from our customers and their pet and their dogs is, is really kind of what makes it all worth it. Uh, that's awesome. It's such a cool story and, and journey that, that you two have been on. As we work to, to, to bookend the, the conversation here, we, we, I think we have covered a lot of ground, but I'm curious if there are aspects of, of the journey, thinking back on it, thinking forward about the future, anything that we haven't touched on that you think is, is particularly important that, that you want to share? I, I think it's, it's been a really fun journey so far. We're, we're really grateful. We're just getting started. We're, you know, kind of not even 1% to where we want to be. And yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, the only other thing I'd, I'd maybe say this, and I don't know if this is like even an answer to this question at all, but, you know, I, I think something that I think Tori and I would both love to do is to actually get a little bit more involved in the Cleveland startup community and just to mm -hmm. flag that uh, on this particular podcast. Um, you know, I grew up here, but, you know, between high school and moving back here, didn't really spend a lot of time in Cleveland you know, did my first two startups in New York and San Francisco. And so most of my kind of startup and founder networks are, are in those cities. And then, you know, during COVID, when we were getting off the ground, obviously not a lot of social, <laughs> socializing and networking. <laughs> um, you know, we were heads down building the business. We have a remote team. And so we're hiring the best talent from across the U.S. But you know, as the business has, has gotten off the ground a little bit and Tori and I and, and some of, you know, a couple other of our team members are, are in Cleveland, you know, I, I think it would be fun to kind of get more involved in, in the community here. And, you know, maybe after the podcast, Jeffrey would, would love some of your suggestions of, you know, folks to talk to or events to, to go to because, yeah, it's really, you know, Cleveland's such an amazing place. It's been a, you know, it's a great place to grow up. It's a great place to raise our our kids, both human and and dog. And <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's really been a, a great place to to start a business and, you know, we great infrastructure, talent, really affordable cost of living. And maybe I'll just add this one more story is so, you know, we literally ended up raising our our first investor money for for Sundays like as Tori and I were moving from New York City to Cleveland, and you know, almost all of our initial angel investors in, were were from New York, and so when we started the process, I was really shy and kind of sheepish about letting people know that we were we were planning to move in, in the next couple of weeks. But I felt you know it was the right thing to do to tell them, and so I would sort of you know kind of a modest 
you know, almost embarrassed way, be like, hey, hey just, just FYI, like, you know, even though we're like meeting in New York, like we're actually like packing up a U-Haul and about to drive with our dogs, like <laughs> to Cleveland in, in like two weeks. And, and the, the, the funny uh, lesson there was that, you know, and again, this is, this is pre-COVID, but literally with, with, you know, no exceptions, everybody was so supportive and like loved it. They were like, oh wait, so like you're telling me if I invest a dollar, you're going to move to Cleveland. It's going to go through, you know, it's going to be worth $3 there versus in New York. Like (laughs) go to Cleveland. Like why wait three weeks? Go today. Like I love that. And so, you know, just a a kind of a, a Cleveland relevant anecdote that you know, I, I think that even investors in the coast and pre-COVID and pre-remote work who want to be close to their investments realize that, you know, especially in the early days where you only kind of have so much money to to find product market fit and figure it out, being in a place where there's a, a more affordable cost of living and yet you have everything you need there, including people to to help make it happen. You know, I, I think it's something you're going to see more and more kind of big world changing startups come out of Cleveland and in cities in the U.S. outside of, you know, SF and L.A. and New York. And a little more space for the dogs. Well, that's the biggest thing. You know, there, there, you know there, there, there's that there's that thing that's going viral this week about the the boss of the. Utah software company who I don't know if you've seen this on, on Twitter, I, I but where he, where he said that, you know, someone sold their family dog so that they could go work in person in, in the office. And it's like, you know, I, I, I want to like send a Slack message to our team of like, whatever the total opposite <laughs> of that is, is what we are of like, buy an extra dog because you're working, you know, rescue an extra dog because you're working at home. And, you know, our whole reason for being is so you, you can spend more quality time with your your dogs and your family. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons we're, we're work from home and, and it, you know, so that people can spend more time with their dogs. And, you know, as an aside, having also tried a dog-friendly office, uh, can kind of be hard to get work done when you're in an office and there's 10 dogs <laughs> running around barking. So just uh, to flag that. <laughs> well, I would be more than happy to to make some connections. I think there's a, a bunch of amazing folks in the area uh, who would who would love to to connect. So definitely we can can follow up there. I mean, I, I just want to thank both of you, Tori, Michael, again for 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 coming on this. This was amazing. Uh, really appreciate both of you taking the time to share your story. And it's uh we're lucky to have you here in Cleveland. So we love being here. Yeah. Thanks for having awesome. us on. This has been great. If if people had anything that they wanted to follow up with you about, where would be the best place for them to do so? Yeah, just uh, shoot us an email, Michael at SundaysForDogs.com or Tori, T-O-R-Y at, at SundaysForDogs.com. <laughs> Although, you know, other spellings will also eventually make it to her. And yeah, I, I encourage you to to shoot us a note, um, especially if you have questions or or feedback about the product. Again, at the end of the day, you know we're we're just trying to you know serve our customers and, and learn from them. And so, don't hesitate to reach out with with questions or comments, big or small. Awesome! Oh my goodness, I just realized hundred episodes into this, I've never missed the traditional closing question, which I almost just did, which uh, is somewhat unrelated but tied to Cleveland. And is for a hidden gem, for something that other people should know about the area that maybe they don't. As someone who's not from Cleveland, something that I didn't know about before I moved here was just how incredible the Metro Park system is. I feel like people don't realize that there's basically mini national parks all over our city. Um, And we actually made it a goal last summer to visit a different Metro Park every weekend, which brought us to places around Cleveland that we would have never expected. So honestly, I think that's just a favorite hidden gem that's kind of in front of all of us and around all of us that we should all appreciate more and get outside with your dog. <laughs> yeah, I share, I share that sentiment very much. Um, well, th- thank you both again. I, I really appreciate it. This, this was great. Yeah, li- likewise. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. 
We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on this show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. 